Um, great to see you here uh, today. Um, we've been looking at uh, the topic of work, and uh, uh, we're really looking at this topic uh, over two weeks uh, in two 30-minute uh, sermons. And so uh, uh, I'm well aware that we're not uh, able to cover uh, this topic in a lot of detail. And so uh, I thought I'd just uh, introduce you to a, a really good book that might be worth reading. Um, the, the book uh, is going to come up on the screen behind me. Um, it's called Revolutionary Work, and uh, it's written by uh, a, an English minister called William Taylor. Uh, William Taylor works in a, a large uh, church in the middle of the CBD in London, and so uh, he works with a lot of... Uh, uh, office workers, uh, people uh, who work uh, in, in the centre of London, and uh, has thought a lot about uh, work and uh, uh, what it means to be a, a Christian person who works uh, in secular employment. And uh, uh, I, I really think uh, this book is, is a very well-written, uh, easily accessible book uh, that will be helpful to you. Um, unfortunately, all the bookshops I've, I've uh, rummaged through in Sydney are out of stock, but uh, if you'd like a copy of this book, um, uh, can I just ask you to send me an email? And you've got my email address uh, in, the, in the church bulletins uh, that you would have received on the way in, and uh, I'll uh, order a copy uh, for you. It shouldn't be too expensive. It should be uh, about 10 or $15 max, um, but uh, really worthwhile read. Revolutionary Work by William Taylor. Um, the other thing is, uh, next, from next week, we're going to uh, start a new series uh, going back into Matthew's Gospel, and uh, Silby from our 4pm uh, SBF congregation has uh, very kindly designed uh, this bookmark for us, which uh, has all the uh, different passages that we're going to be studying over the next 12 weeks, uh, and the dates that we're going to be studying uh, those passages uh, unfortunately, we don't have one for everyone, uh, but uh, if you'd like one of these, uh, they're in a, a pile at the back, and so uh, be the first uh, to, to get one, and it'll just be good to have one of these in your, in your uh, Bibles. But uh, uh, how about uh, I lead us in prayer, and uh, we'll get into uh, today's topic. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you so much for gathering us together, and uh, as we uh, think together about uh, this whole topic of work and uh, gospel work in particular today. Uh, would you please uh, help our uh, minds and our hearts to be shaped by what you think about this topic? Uh, please help us to uh, be corrected uh, where we need to be corrected, uh, affirmed where we need to be affirmed, uh, but uh, we pray that you would give us a real desire uh, to live every part of our lives, including our working lives, uh, for your glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, well, friends, uh, when I, uh, as I was growing up, uh, I lived in a, an old fibro house in the south of Sydney. Uh, I can still remember the house because it holds so many memories. But uh, it was a house that my parents spent a lot of time and money in to make it a, a comfortable home for the family. Uh, I remember they did substantial renovations uh, to the back of the house. They uh, landscaped the garden. 
they spent hours mowing the lawn and, and doing the gardening, and it was just a, a really nice house to live in. However, um, uh, as my sister and I grew up, uh, my parents decided to sell the house, and eventually uh, there were new owners. And uh, to my great horror, uh, these new owners decided to um, take a wrecking ball to the house and uh, bulldoze it to the ground. Uh, what they wanted to do was get rid of this old house and build their own dream home. And uh, I still remember visiting the area and feeling a sense of disappointment uh, as I saw the house that I grew up in being bulldozed to the ground. Uh, now, last week we began a two-part miniseries, as I mentioned, looking at this whole topic of work. And uh, I want to begin today by speaking about the futility of our work. Uh, whether you are in paid work or doing unpaid work at home, uh, I want to suggest uh, right up front that just like my childhood home, the work that you and I do is ultimately futile because it will not last forever. It will not last forever. Uh, a moment's reflection will show that this is true. Uh, if you're an engineer, the bridge that you build will eventually be taken down. If you're a doctor, the life that you save will one day die. If you're a gardener, the lawn that you mow will keep on growing back. Now, please don't get me wrong. I'm not suggesting that everything about work is negative. Uh, we saw last week, didn't we, that uh, work is uh, dignified because God is a worker. Uh, we saw that work is necessary because without work it will be very difficult to function in this world. We saw that work is good because it is a way to contribute lovingly to the flourishing of, of human beings. But friends, uh, there is a problem with work, isn't there? Uh, for it is not only painful and frustrating this side of the fall, but it is ultimately futile because our work never lasts. However, there is a work that the Bible speaks about which is never futile because the fruit of this work will last into all eternity. It is what we might call gospel work. It is the work of sharing the good news of Jesus with others so that they might find eternal salvation. It is the work of sharing the good news uh, among believers, among ourselves, so that uh, we might be built up as we head towards eternity. Uh, it's the kind of work that Jesus speaks about in John chapter 6, uh, in the passage that was just read for us, where he says to his disciples, Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. Uh, it is the kind of work that the Apostle Paul encourages the Corinthian church to be doing in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58, where he says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. It is not futile. It is this kind of work that has led you and me, if we are Christian people, to have the certain hope of eternal life. And so precisely, it is because this work has eternal consequences that gospel work is to have top priority 
for all Christians over other forms of work. I wonder whether you and I consider the work of the gospel as our top priority in life. Now, before moving on, uh, I want to speak about some unhelpful ways of thinking about our secular work, which uh, I think has led to a bit of confusion among Christians about the priority of this gospel work. Uh, Some unhelpful ways of thinking that has um, led to confusion about the priority of gospel work. Uh, The first of these unhelpful ways of thinking about our secular work is the idea of vocation. Uh, The word vocation comes from the Latin word for calling. And so you might have heard people speaking about uh, a particular calling into uh, a profession or a type of work. You know, I'm called to be an artist, people might say, or I'm called to be a lawyer or a doctor. Uh, Now, the Christian understanding of vocation was actually a very helpful teaching that helped clarify how to live the Christian life. Uh, It was a teaching that the great reformer Martin Luther spoke about in the 16th century. However, in order to understand what Martin Luther was saying, uh, you need to understand something about the context in which he was writing in. Um, You see, Luther was writing during a time when Christian people thought that there were two classes of Christians... Uh, On the one hand, you had those who had devoted themselves to full-time Christian ministry. You know, these were the priests and the monks and the nuns of the the time. Uh, They were the first-class Christians, they thought. Uh, They were the ones who were closer to God. But on the other hand, you had those who were not in full-time Christian ministry, and, you know, they were sort of relegated to second-class Christianity. They couldn't really please God with their lives. And yet, uh, what Luther taught was that you do not need to be in full-time Christian ministry in order to live a life that is pleasing to God. Uh, How liberating is that? In fact, God has given you many different vocations or stations in life, and you are to work out how to be devoted to God in the different circumstances and in the different stations of life that God has uniquely given you each one of you. Uh, What Luther was teaching actually comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 20. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 20, where God says, each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Uh, The word condition that you see there is actually the word calling. And so in this passage, Paul uses the word calling in two two different ways. On the one hand, it is used of all the different circumstances and uh, stations in life that God has called you to. But on the other hand, it is used to describe the call of God on your life when you become a Christian. Each one should remain in the calling in which you have been called, is what the passage says. Now, The thing to notice here is that when the Bible speaks about vocation or calling in this passage, uh, it's speaking about stations in life that are not easy to change. 
Uh, in the 1 Corinthians passage, Paul is speaking about being a slave, for example, or being married, or being circumcised. Uh, Luther might add, you know, being a mother, or being a father, or being a shoemaker. But the point is that if God has given you these particular circumstances or situations in life that are unique to you, uh, do not seek to change. Do not seek to get out of them. But find out and work out how you can serve God faithfully in those particular circumstances and situations. However, the problem has been that over time, Christians have unhelpfully applied the word vocation or calling not to the many and varied stations of, it, of life that we find ourselves in, but in particular to paid employment only or to the career, in other words. And so, if Johnny is gifted in playing piano, people might say that his calling from God is to be a concert pianist. Uh, if Jane is, is, a very, uh, is very interested in helping people, well, people might comment that, that perhaps your calling is to be a doctor. Uh, if Wally is particularly creative, then people might say that his calling from God is to be an artist. Uh, it's remarkable that you don't hear anyone speaking about being called to pack boxes at Coles or being called into working in a factory or being a plumber. It seems that for those who think this way, God only calls people into very middle-class professions. But the danger of this particular way of thinking about work is that once you speak about God calling you into a particular area of work, then you begin to import an importance into secular work that the Bible simply does not speak about. In fact, did you know that the Bible is relatively silent about what kind of work you do? You know, it, it, it says a few things about what you shouldn't do. You shouldn't be a thief or you shouldn't work, you know, in the sex industry, for example. But the kind of work you do is not all that important to God and certainly will not be important on the last day when you, are, you and I are standing face to face with the Lord Jesus Christ giving an account of our life to him. How you work is much more important to God, as we saw last week, as Hank spoke to us. But friends, I hope you can see that sometimes Christians can think in unhelpful ways that begin to import too much importance into secular work. And our minds can be clouded about the importance of gospel work in our lives. But the second way of thinking about secular work, which I think unhelpfully clouds the priority of gospel work, is the teaching that says that your secular work is not ultimately futile. It's the kind of teaching that has crept into Christian books and Christian teaching in general, which says that our work here on earth, if it's done for God's glory, will actually last into all eternity, it will find its way into the new creation. Uh, here's what one popular Christian author, Tom Nelson, says in his book called Work Matters. He says this. He says, But if our daily work, 
done for the glory of God and the common good of others in some way carries over to the new heavens and the new earth, then our present work itself is overflowing with immeasurable value and eternal significance. Uh, It's an attractive idea, isn't it? You know, if you're an engineer, that bridge that you build, if you build it to God's glory, will one day find its way into the new creation. If you're an artist, that masterpiece you paint will one day find its way into the new creation. If you're a musician, that song you write for God's glory will be there in the new creation. In fact, as you work each day to God's glory, you are participating in God's work of bringing in the new creation. But friends, uh, the only problem with this view is that there is precious little in God's word that would support it. In fact, uh, if you read through the New Testament, the overwhelming impression you get is that God is not ultimately concerned about bridges and artworks and music, as important as those things are, but he is ultimately concerned for the salvation of people who are lost and hell-bound. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. It is people that God is concerned about. It is people that God wants to last for eternity in the new creation through the good news of the Son of God who gave his life for sinners. Further, as far as I can see, there is nothing in the New Testament about Christian people participating with God in building the new creation. In fact, I think that the New Testament speaks about this present world as coming to an end on the last day and the new heavens and the new earth being something that God gives to us as a gift. Uh, in 2 Peter chapter 3, the Apostle Peter says that we are waiting, we are waiting for the new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness dwells. In other words, the new creation is not something that we build now in the hope that it will last into eternity, but the new creation is something that we wait for presently because it is coming in the future and it is God who will give it to us. One of the great dangers of the new creation thinking about secular work is that it can sometimes be held up as an alternative to gospel work. In fact, I've heard people saying that, you know, you might choose to glorify God by speaking to people about Jesus, but I choose to glorify God by being the best CEO that this company has ever had. It's always interesting that Christians who take this line, uh, seem to, on the whole, be uh, Christians who are in the arts. Uh, It's always interesting, uh, 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 sorry, it's easy to imagine a great work of art kind of being in the new creation, isn't it? But, you know, what if you're an insurance salesman? What will it look like for your work to last into the new creation? Uh, What if... You're an accountant. In what sense will your work last into the new creation? 
Uh, it's a very selective view uh, of work, I think. Uh, well, friends, I, I hope you're convinced that the scriptures speak of the top priority of gospel work. But uh, when we speak of gospel work being a top priority, does that mean that those who do gospel work are in some sense more valuable than those who don't? I think this is a very important pastoral issue because one of the unintended consequences of uh, evangelical churches in Sydney trying to encourage as many people into full-time ministry as possible, um, suitable people, uh, one of the unintended consequences of that has been the perception that those who do not end up in full-time ministry are not as valuable. Uh, However, uh, I want to speak to this by uh, just saying three uh, very quick things. Firstly, uh, I want you to see that our value and worth and dignity do not come from the work we do, but from the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, we live in a world that measures a person's value by the things we do, don't we? Uh, And so socially, one of the first questions we ask one another is, uh, what do you do? Because we want to work out, you know, where we are in the social pecking order, whether uh, my job is more valuable than the other person's job. Now, that's why many mothers who stay at home and do not do any paid form of employment often say, I'm just a mum. I'm just a mum. But friends, as hard as it is to divorce our value from the things that we do, I want you to see that if you are a Christian person, then your value, your worth, your dignity does not come from what you do, but it comes from the fact that God has set his love upon you and he has purchased you for himself with the highest price possible. He has purchased you for himself with the precious blood of his very own son, the Lord Jesus Christ. You simply cannot get any more valuable than that if you are a Christian person. But even when the day comes when you and I might not be able to work anymore, then we can know that our value, our worth, our dignity comes not from the function that we have, but the fact that God has set his love on us. Secondly, uh, I want to suggest that all Christian people have the privilege of doing gospel work. Uh, In other words, it's not as though there are the spiritual elite who do all the gospel work and the rest of us who merely exist to support gospel work. But the scriptures speak about all Christian people doing this vitally important work altogether. Uh, In Ephesians 4, uh, verse 11, the Apostle Paul says that Jesus gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints, to equip ordinary Christians for the work of ministry. You see, those who have a teaching ministry, like myself, should be in the business of equipping and training people, ordinary Christians, to be doing the work of ministry. 
And what is the work of ministry? Well, later in the passage, the work of ministry is defined as speaking the truth of the gospel. For it is as we speak the truth of the gospel to one another, and as we speak the truth of the gospel to others who do not know the Lord Jesus, that the church is built up, fit for eternity. And so I think uh, for all of us, there is a mixture of secular work and gospel work that God wants us to do. Many of us work in paid secular work or in an unpaid capacity at home, and yet God gives you the great honour and privilege and responsibility to be doing gospel work. On the flip side... Uh, For people in full-time ministry like myself, uh, we have the privilege of um, having our time freed up so that we can be doing more of that gospel work. And yet, I I don't know, friends, what you think I do with my time, Um, but it's not as though I spend all my time um, preaching the gospel to big crowds like Billy Graham. You know, my my mother might think that that's what I do for a living, but uh, it's certainly not, you know, everything I do. Um, A lot of my time is spent doing the humdrum administrative tasks that uh, you probably do in the workplace as well. And if anyone can give me a hand with those administrative tasks, then I will always be eternally grateful to you. But finally, I just want to reinforce that saying that gospel work has top priority is not to suggest that our secular work is unimportant or simply a necessary evil. It is an important arena in which we serve Jesus as our Lord and where we can learn to love others. And yet it is not of ultimate importance because our secular work will not last forever. I think we need to start thinking about our secular work in the category of good but not ultimate. Good but not ultimate. And there are many things in the Bible that fall into that category, aren't there? I mean, marriage is one of those things. Um, I'm often sad to think that, you know, when I get to heaven, I won't be married to my wife because marriage won't be in heaven. (laughs) And yet here it is a good gift of God, isn't it? And I cherish it as something that is good. I think that's how we need to... Uh, view secular work, good but not ultimate. Uh, Well, finally, friends, what does the relationship between our secular work and our gospel work look like? Uh, Is it simply a matter of doing our secular work from Monday to Friday and doing a a bit of gospel work on a Sunday? Uh, What does it mean to give top priority to our gospel work? Uh, Well, I want to suggest that giving gospel work priority in our lives will mean that we allow our secular work to serve uh, the gospel work that we really want to do. And I think we get a hint of this in the scriptures. And so, for example, the Apostle Paul says to the Thessalonian Christians uh, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 11, that they are to work with their hands as we instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Uh, Or in Titus chapter 2, verse 9, Paul uh, instructs slaves 
and he says that they are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, uh, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Saviour. In other words, when you work, friends, work with the outsider in mind, says Paul. Make the gospel attractive to those outside the kingdom by the way you do your work. Do it with faithfulness. Do it with integrity. Do it with love. But if you are a Christian person, your love will be a love that is profoundly shaped by God's love, which in the end is a saving love, isn't it? And so you will be a person who loves in such a way that you will do whatever is possible to share that great news of Jesus and the eternal salvation that he offers to outsiders so that they might also turn to him in repentance and faith. Uh, You might know that the late Steve Jobs was famous for wearing the same outfit to work every day. Uh, Each day he wore a, a black turtleneck, he wore a blue pair of jeans, and he wore a pair of New Balance sneakers. He did it because he didn't want to spend too much time thinking about what to wear every day when he could be doing the ultimate work of changing the world with his computers. He wanted his wardrobe to serve his greater work, you see. Now, I don't think Steve Jobs has changed the world all that much, really, with his computers. But you've got to admire this kind of devotion, don't you? Here is someone who knows what is more important and is willing to make the less important things serve that greater work. And I think that's really what the scriptures are saying to us. If you are a Christian person, be someone who makes your secular work serve that greater work, which is the work of sharing the gospel. Uh, Now, I understand that our work situations and our circumstances in life are all different, and so there is no you know, one-size-fits-all way of, uh, you know, working out this priority. But uh, here are just a few questions to think about that might help you to see, you know, what might be some areas for you to uh, repent of and equally what are some areas that you might continue to push ahead in. Uh, Firstly, are you allowing your secular work serve gospel work by sharing the gospel with others around you? That's a very simple one, isn't it? Uh, If you are in paid employment, I understand that it's not always easy to share the gospel in the office. But at the same time, the workplace is actually a great place to share in friendships that actually go beyond the office. In fact, the workplace is a great context in which to share the gospel because uh, you're there every day and you're there rubbing shoulders with so many unbelievers and so is your heart's desire reflecting God's desire that they will hear the gospel if your primary work is in the home with young children then do you make it your ambition to share the gospel 
with your children. Uh, I know that this is a tiring, repetitive and chaotic time in your life, but what a great opportunity to be teaching your children the gospel and modelling what it looks like to follow Jesus faithfully. If you are someone who is retired and you are free from working for a living, uh, what a great stage of life it is. And yet I want to ask you how you are allowing your freedom to serve the gospel. You know, most retirees use their freedom in self-indulgence as they wine and dine and travel and generally live a life of hedonism. But if you are a Christian person, then how does your life look different in serving the work of the gospel? Secondly, are you allowing the money that you make from work serve the gospel? Are you allowing the money that you make from work serve the gospel? You know, there are so many gospel needs all around the world, and there are people who have given up their lives to go and meet those gospel needs, but are in dire need of financial support. Uh, Even at our church a few weeks ago, our senior minister outlined the kind of financial needs that we are in at the moment in order uh, to expand our gospel work here. Um, Often, I think, because our use of money is something that is hidden, we find it easy to serve ourselves and find little hesitation in improving our standard of living while greatly hesitating in opening up our wallets to serve the gospel. I wonder whether that's true for you. But if you are a Christian person whose heart's desire, whose greatest desire is to see uh, the world coming to know the Lord Jesus, then are you willing to open up your wallets so that the money you make from work is put in service of the gospel. Finally, where it is appropriate, are you willing to sacrifice your secular work in order to serve gospel work because you see that this is the priority that God has in the world? Perhaps it might mean refusing that promotion, which I know that uh, some of us have done because you know that it will take you away from gospel work and serving at church. Perhaps it might mean asking your boss to give you an afternoon a week off in order to teach scripture at one of our local schools. Perhaps it might mean working less and spending more time doing gospel ministry in the home. You know, what our children need are not bigger houses and fancier cars, but they need Jesus And if you are a parent, they need you to show them uh, how to live a life that is all about him. But perhaps for some of us, it might even mean giving up secular work altogether and going into full-time Christian work. Not because you have some special calling from God, but because you are somebody who has been called into the kingdom of God and you have been shaped by kingdom priorities 
And you know uh, that what brings God the greatest joy and the greatest glory and greatest honor is when we speak about his great love for the world in the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, if somebody you know and you trust, somebody who knows you, taps you on the shoulder, will you give serious thought to even giving up your secular work to do the work of the gospel that will echo into all of eternity? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you give each of us circumstances and stations in life that are unique to us. I thank you especially for the work that you have given each of us to do, uh, whether that is paid work or unpaid work in the home. Uh, We pray that you would help us to be faithful and fruitful in the work that we do. Uh, Help us to do this work heartily with Jesus as our boss and to love others around us in order to display your character to the people around us. But Father, we thank you especially for our Lord Jesus Christ and the eternal life that is found in him. And we thank you that your particular special work in this world is to see his name glorified. And uh, we thank you for the great privilege and responsibility that you give each and every one of us to do this work that points people to him. And so, Father, even as we do our work from day to day, please help us to do it in a way that adorns the gospel. We pray for the people that we work with, that you would draw them to yourself. And we pray that uh, you would help us, that you would so transform our hearts and give us courage that we might love those around us enough to speak of the one truth that is never futile because it brings eternal life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.